somewhere between 30 and 50% of us have introverted tendencies. Some of us might be introverts and not even really know it yet. I know from coaching hundreds and hundreds of people how challenging it can be to be an introvert in a world of work that celebrates and is set up for extroverted tendencies and extroverts, which is why I am delighted to bring you this really thoughtful conversation with Emma Taggart. Welcome to the Influence and Impact podcast for female leaders. My name's Carla Miller, and I'm a leadership coach who helps female leaders to tackle self-doubt, become brilliant at influencing, and make more impact at work. I've created this podcast to help you to become a more inspiring and impactful leader. And I want to become the leadership BFF you didn't know you were missing until now. Emma is a leadership and career coach for introverted leaders. She helps ambitious people with a quiet, reserved and unassuming style to feel confident in their capabilities and progress their careers without changing who they are. Before training as a coach, Emma was policy director at a breast cancer charity, chief of staff to a prominent politician and ran an independent consultancy supporting not-for-profit organisations to campaign and influence effectively. Emma and I have known each other for a few years now. She was a guest on one of my previous online programs, but I've never had her on the podcast. So I'm really pleased to be able to bring her to you. If you haven't got Emma on your radar and you are someone who is introverted or you want to get better at making your workplace introvert friendly and managing and leading and motivating perhaps some of the more introverted people that work in your team, then this is the episode for you. So we explore all sorts of things, including what is an introvert and Emma's light bulb moments when she realised that that was her. We also talk about what qualities introverts bring to the workplace and introverted qualities that are great for leadership, qualities like listening and not being the first person in the room to talk and how they make you a better leader, not a worse leader. We rant for a little while about meetings and how most of them are really poorly run. And Emma shares some really practical, simple ways that you can change the meetings that you run so that they work for everybody, not just the extroverts in the room. And finally, we talk a little bit about how you can make more introvert-friendly workplaces. I hope you find this conversation interesting. I know that I certainly did. Really recommend that you follow Emma on LinkedIn um, and check out the scorecard that she tells us about at the end. Um, you'll also find, if you are a regular listener, you'll find some parallels between what we talk about on this podcast and what I talk about in Be Bolder, for example. So we talk about getting your voice heard. We talk about that confidence to speak up and having an opportunity to speak up. So if you've ever been in a meeting and not been able to get a word in edgeways, well, Emma's got some practical tips on that. And we also share lots of that in Be Bolder as well, my confidence and assertiveness course. Now we have just finished up uh, one cohort of that. The next one's in October. So if you're thinking, actually, I'd really love to be more confident at speaking up in meetings, whether you're an introvert or not, then um, do head over to my website where you can book yourself on and find out more about the October cohort of Be Bolder. Hope you enjoy this episode. Um, if you do, please do subscribe. Make sure that you're following um, the podcast so you get all the episodes and also give us a rating and review so that more people in the world can get access to what we share here on the podcast. Okay, have a great week. Um, take care and enjoy this episode. So having spent a lot of time hanging out together on LinkedIn, it's great to be able to have a proper chat with my guest today, Emma Taggart. Emma, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you, Carla, for inviting me to be here. I'm really excited about the possibility of being able to talk about this subject and, and get into it with you. And I know you're a loyal listener of the podcast as well. You kindly tell everyone about it. <laughs> so thank you for that. You know how this goes. Mm-hmm. Um, today we're talking about introversion, how it shows up in the workplace, how to lead as an introvert. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to focus on this area as a coach. Okay, so I spend my time now being a leadership and career coach for introverted leaders. Um, And what that basically means in my day-to-day world is that I help ambitious people with a very kind of quiet and unassuming reserved style to make the progress that they want to make in their career without having to change who they are and pretend to be something they're not. And I came to that because what absolutely drives me on a daily basis is the anger I feel when so much talent is wasted and so much potential is overlooked because, in my view, so many workplaces are absolutely biased towards extroversion. It favours extroversion more than introversion. And given that introverts make up anywhere between 30 and 50% of the population. To me, that seems like a massive amount of talent to waste and it just really gets me wound up. So, you know, that is what I'm doing and why I'm doing it now. But what brought me to it really was my own experience. So, you know, I've always been a very reluctant leader, but my career is very much um, a career of leadership in in a lot of ways. So, you know, when I was a student, I was elected to co-lead the student wing of the Labour Party. Um, When I kind of stopped being a student and decided to come out of that political world that I spent a little bit of time in early on in my career, I went into the charity world and I was kind of quickly sort of spotted and promoted and I ended up as a charity director, but that was not something that came easily for reasons we might get into later. Um, so I've had, you know, I've had these leadership positions. I, you know, I worked as chief of staff to David Lavey when he was the higher education minister. Um, so I've had these kind of senior roles, but I never, ever, ever felt like a leader in those roles. And so I know what it's like to be somebody who doesn't fit the mould, doesn't fit that traditional idea of what a leader is supposed to be, and spends a lot of time kind of doubting themselves questioning, am I really cut out for this? Am I supposed to be a leader or am I kidding myself here? Yeah, that's how I felt a lot of the time. Um, But then I did, you know, I found a way of embracing my introversion to stop hiding my light under a bushel and expecting my work to speak for itself. I kind of realised I had to put myself out there a bit more and and do that. Um, But when I did that, you know, the senior levels of leadership opened up to me really. So... What got me into coaching in this was just that that experience taught me that it can be really frustrating to be somebody who is more introverted, who has got the talent to lead, but perhaps isn't seeing that or believing it as much as they could, and that that holds back people in their careers. So having had that experience, I just thought, you know what, I want to become the coach that I wish I'd had earlier in my career. And so, you know, I trained as a coach, not really intending to do this, actually. I trained as a coach for other reasons. But once I was in that and I was doing it in training, I thought, actually, this is what I'm going to do. I want to be the coach that I wish I'd had when I was trying to work all this stuff out. And so, you know, that's what I do now. And I love it when the people I work with you know, do transform in front of my eyes, really. You know, they either do get the the big promotions they're looking for or, um, yeah, maybe they don't want the promotion, but they just want to feel comfortable and confident in their own skin. And I absolutely love it when that happens. That's that's kind of what keeps me going um, through what you will know is quite a tough time sometimes when you work for yourself. <laughs> absolutely. And I love your passion. And like you say, the anger at, at how... It's so hard for some people to succeed because the whole system is set up not with them in mind. And there's, yeah. as we talked about before, there's parallels very much between women in the workplace and introversion in the workplace. Was there a light bulb moment 
for you when you first heard the word introvert? <laughs> there was two, I think, for me. So what one thing for me that happened was, I can't remember exactly when, but at some point in my charity career, I had what lots of people have open to them at times, which is to have a Myers-Briggs you know, MBTI assessment done. Now, I have to say, I'm not a massive fan of Myers-Briggs these days, and that would be a whole other conversation about why I'm not going to sort of shout from the rooftops about the benefits of that kind of personality test. But way back when, we'll go back a bit here, there was a moment where I had that, that assessment done and I, got, I was very lucky to have a chance to sit down with a, a psychologist who could take me through what it meant. And I just remember that suddenly everything made sense. When I actually properly understood what introversion was, everything made sense. Yeah, Because up until then, I'd heard the word and I thought it meant that um, I was shy. You know, if you were an introvert, you're shy. That's what I thought. And I know that I've never been shy. Yeah, maybe when I was a very small child, just finding my feet at school, shyness was a thing. But generally, I'm not a shy person. So the introvert label didn't really resonate. But when I really understood what it meant, um, there was that moment of thinking, ah, this is the reason why some of the things that I struggle with at work are a thing. Um, so that was definitely the first light bulb moment. And then there was another one quite some time later when Susan Cain published her very well known now book, Quiet. Um, if anyone hasn't watched her TED talk or read that book, absolutely recommend going to do that. Um, but I, 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 I read her book and I had the pleasure of meeting her when she um, launched it in London. And again, it was just that moment of it's thought this is this is something that really makes sense to me. But at that time, it just felt really exciting that suddenly so many more people were going to understand and I think that's absolutely happened in the seven or eight years since she published that book it's talked about more it's understood more still a lot of misunderstandings but that I think was a light bulb moment not just for me but for a lot of people brilliant and so how do you define introversion okay the first thing I would say about that is that this definition or this label of introvert absolutely should never define somebody completely right because we're all complex we're all unique everyone's got a blend of all sorts of different personality traits and characteristics and all sorts of other things going on um and so to to just fixate on that label of introvert i don't think is very helpful um not just in terms of personality traits but also other characteristics you know we know that intersectionality is really crucial in terms of how people experience the world and experience the workplace. Um, so, you know, no one is ever an introvert. They might be an introverted woman, an introverted man, you know, black woman, you know, disabled person, all of these different things that we've all got going on that matter. And introversion is just one part of that mix. However, it is really useful, I think, for people to know their preference, you know, have they got a preference for introversion or have they got a preference for extroversion? Because if you can understand where you are with that and how it shows up at work, then it starts to help people make sense of the challenges they face and any, you know, how they might navigate those at work. So you asked me and the question was, what's the definition of introversion? And the one that lots of people I'm sure will be familiar with and that we've all heard, haven't we, is this idea that it's about where you get your energy from. Okay, that's what we hear. We hear that, you know, it's about how you charge your battery. Now, it absolutely feels like that, but it's not quite right to say that it's all about where you get your energy from because all of us get our energy from being with people to some extent. You know, we're humans. We need social connection. Everybody is energized by being around people. So this idea that that introverts get energy just from being alone isn't right. Okay. What it's actually about is the, you know, the key difference between an extrovert and an introvert is how we respond to stimulation. So when I talk about stimulation, what I mean is, you know, being around people, that is absolutely one form of stimulation. Um, but it's also about, you know, 
being out and about in the world, taking part in activities, you know, just being out and having a load of stuff coming at you from the world, that's stimulation, right? And the, the key difference between an introvert and an extrovert is how we respond to that. Um, now, I don't want to get into a science lesson, but there's all sorts of theories and, and sort of research that suggests what might be going on neurobiologically with this. But what people really need to know, essentially, is that extroverts need a lot of stimulation to be at their best, whereas introverts need some, but less. And so, yeah, maybe I should pause there. No, I'd love to hear what you want to say next. Okay. Um, so this, yeah, if, if, if we know that introverts need less stimulation, um, then what happens if we get too much of it? Well, I think anyone listening to this who's got a preference for introversion, whether they know it or not at this point, will be very familiar with the feeling that they get um, after, say, a day of kind of back-to-back -back meetings. You know, a typical day at work is absolutely full of stimulation. It's the meetings, it's the emails, it's the constant messages popping up, it's the person just giving you a quick call or popping by your desk if you happen to be in the office. It's all of that stuff coming at you all day. And when we get too much of that, we feel drained. We find that it becomes much harder to think clearly and to speak clearly. And we have this real sense that we need to withdraw. We need to either be on our own or be just around people who don't need us to be on. Um, and that we can just kind of take that time to reflect, go inwards to reflect on what's been happening and what we're thinking and just to generally come back into balance. Um, whereas an extrovert will buzz off of all of that stimulation, you know, they'll kind of feel a lot better for having it. I do want to say though, because let's recognize that this is not kind of an exact science here. This is, I'm talking in generalities to a point here, because yeah, of course, extroverts are going to need downtime as well. We've all got the capacity to feel exhausted at the end of the day, back to back meetings, right? Um, but the difference is that extroverts will be able to just deal with that for a bit longer and if they're forced to kind of withdraw in the way that introverts love to do, they'll start to feel a bit more agitated, a bit more quickly and need to get back out there and, and be stimulated again. So there we go. There's hopefully a bit of um, an explanation about what the real difference is between an introvert and an extrovert. Excellent. Re really insightful. And I'm guessing all of us, to some extent, have lost some of our tolerance for stimulation with lockdowns and things like that I know certainly what I could cope with before now it's like oh no that is a lot I definitely don't want to go out and do three social things <laughs> one trip to London like, or oh, I can just about manage two maybe <laughs> um, interesting and so and and I'm people who are ambiverts or ambiverted don't know how, how you do it is that traits of each or is that sometimes you have moments of feeling more introverted and sometimes moments of feeling more extroverted? Well, I I um, don't quite, haven't quite come to a view about what I think about the term ambivert, to be honest with you, Carla. I understand that ambivert is um, somebody who feels like they're kind of right in between that introvert and extrovert extreme, if you like, that they've got some traits of both. The reason I say I'm not quite sure how I feel about the term is because actually, as you know, introversion and extroversion exist on a spectrum. And there is no such thing as a pure introvert or a pure extrovert. So to an extent, everybody is ambivert if we say that ambivert is about, you know, sometimes feeling one way, sometimes feeling the other, being able to flex in and out of behaviours that are perhaps more typically associated with extroversion or introversion. Um, so, you know, technically, I guess someone can be slap banging in the middle of that spectrum who could be an ambivert. But to me, it's more about being able to flex at every point of that spectrum. You know, as an introverted person, I can absolutely behave in ways that are more typically extroverted. Being an introvert doesn't stop me doing that. It just means that what I might have to um, put a bit more effort in to learn the skills of something that doesn't come so naturally. Or it might be that when I've flexed into that extrovert mode, I need to then give myself time to recover from that stimulation and just to to 
bring myself back to myself really um so yeah it's it's a lot of people will find themselves identifying much more with that idea of ambiversion because it isn't a purist thing um so it's great that you brought that up i'm i'm basically did i think that's where i that's where i think i sit i think what i've done by is because i think i've come out slightly on the introvert side i have always found traditionally that like I need people, but I can't have constant people. Mm-hmm. I, if I was going on a group holiday with friends, for example, I need to sometimes be the person by the pool with a book when yeah. everyone has gone out for the day. Yeah, I hate to always be the person by the pool. With the yeah, book. So right. So that sounds quite good. <laughs> so to me, that um, yeah, I, I absolutely relate to that as well. Um, I probably wouldn't choose to go on a group holiday. I'd go with a small, yeah, maybe just one person or two. Um, but yeah, I think there, there's something there about recognizing that yes, you need the stimulation of people as we all do, but then there's the withdrawing and having that time on your own to, to kind of recover a bit from it. And everyone has to kind of figure out what that balance is for them. You know, there is no hard and fast rule. And that's one of the things that I really encourage my clients to do is to start figuring out, okay, well, what is the optimum amount of stimulation that you need and how can you start to create a work day so that it actually gives you that? Because actually what most people are finding who are, have got an introverted preference is that the workplace is set up to mean that they're flexing out of introverted preference most of the time, which is too much stimulation, it's exhausting, and it ends up impacting on their work outside life. Their work outside life, their life outside work, um, because they haven't got the energy to kind of engage with family or friends or go out and socialise. They've just given it all to work. So it's it's finding that balance is really important for people. That makes sense. And then the other thing that has confused me in my question of am I extrovert or an extrovert, or am I introverted or extroverted, is that um, I am in no way a reflective thinker. So if you ask me a question, you will get my best answer right now. And I've got no interest in thinking about it further. And if you ask me tomorrow, I would just give you the same answer because my brain has quickly gone through the options. This is my best option. Right, go. Um, Which is that different to almost everybody that I coach, actually. And and this comes up (laughs) a lot in Be Bolder. We're going to talk about how meetings are a nightmare for reflective thinkers. But does does being a reflective thinker map directly onto introverted tendencies yeah it does because um again yeah the difference in thinking styles is very stark actually I and mean, you have just described really well an extroverted thinking style which is to know know what you think straight away be able to articulate it and i would guess um that you and others who have that sort of thinking style enjoy sharing your ideas before even you've fully thought thought them through who kind of get a lot out of bouncing things around with other people. Um, yeah. So whereas a more reflective thinker who has a preference for introversion actually much prefers to kind of process and so, you know, the piece of information or the question they've been asked, you know, take that away, um, chew it around in their own head for a while, you know, kind of just have a have a real think about it and then formulate their opinion, formulate the words that they want to say out loud to share a point of view. Now, the way I've just described it makes it almost sound like an introverted person needs to go away and think for four days about something. That's not the case. Well, obviously, with a big complex thing, it might be. But generally, when we're asked to give a view, you know, we, we don't necessarily need loads of time to think, but we need a space of some sort to just process, go inwards, and then speak. And that basically comes down to the difference between speaking to think, which is what extroverts like to do, and thinking to speak, which is what introverts prefer. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I, I so I talk to myself when I'm at home because I'd like to verbalize things. Right. But I do, when I'm talking to other people, it does go through my head before it goes out to someone else. Like it doesn't just go, but and then I formulate it as it goes. It is my brain goes, what do I want to say here? Why do I want to say it? Okay, let's yeah. do it. 
Um, but yeah, I've coached a lot of people with introverted tendencies. And I think what you're doing is just so empowering because a lot of them come and say, oh, I'm just, you know, my brain doesn't work as well as other people's, mm-hmm. but I'm too slow. I'm not good at this. And I really encourage them to see those introverted tendencies as an asset. Yeah. Tell us a look. We're going to go on to meetings in a minute, but tell us a little bit more about what what do those introverted tendencies look like in the workplace, so that we can identify them for ourselves, but also for our team members. Okay. So the first thing is that if you're an introverted person or someone in your team is, there will be a tendency and a preference to listen a lot more than you talk. So um, yeah, the obvious place that would show up is in a meeting, but it can be more general than that. You know, if you you if you are someone who would rather listen before you talk, pretty likely you're introverted. Um, the second quality that shows up, I think, is that ten, that that thoughtfulness, um, that want willingness and desire to kind of reflect a lot and to go inwards. Um, quite often people will demonstrate that by um, being very quiet in a meeting, but then kind of having loads to say about it when you next bump into them or, or get on a call, they'll sort of suddenly show that they've been really thinking about it. I've got loads to say. And quite often someone will say, oh, why don't you say all that in a meeting? And it's like, well, because I hadn't thought it then. I had to go away and think about it. So real deep thinking, getting into that analysis and problem solving is a bit of a clue. Um, one, uh, there's there's a quality as well of observation. So just because people are talking less and sort of have that tendency to reflect, quite often they'll have very good observational skills. So that might look like really noticing some of the unspoken dynamics in the office um, or in the team, picking up on things that perhaps others have missed, kind of seeing that nuance in relationships and so on. Um, and then another quality we could pick up on is a tendency to want to shy away from the spotlight. And I, I shouldn't have used that word shy because as I've said, introversion isn't about shyness, but it's about kind of a reluctance to be in the spotlight and have people kind of focused on you. And, um, you know, that might show up as feeling really uncomfortable when you have to make a presentation and that all eyes are on you, even if you feel fine about actually making the presentation, the actual being in the the view, in the eye line of people might be uncomfortable. Um, but it may also show up as just that reluctance to want to be the one, even if you are the team leader, it's that reluctance to want to be the one that, you know, always goes and makes the presentation or I'll be the one to go to the board or whatever it is. It's tendency to want to push other people forward a bit more so that you're not the one in the spotlight. Interesting. I was coaching someone recently, actually, and she had just stepped up to a certain level of leadership. And exactly like you were saying earlier, she didn't necessarily feel like a leader. And I said, what does a leader look like to you? And she said, someone who just brings all the energy for the team. She was thinking of someone in particular and comparing herself, and we helped her to think through exactly as you would, what does actually leadership look like for her? So what you've explained some of those different qualities. What makes people who have introverted tendencies great leaders? Right. Well, I could probably talk for hours about that um, and get a real bee in my bonnet about it, but let me try and just pick out a few. Um so this, you know, I come back to this quality of listening, which I think is massively underrated leadership skill, but really important. Um, and so, you know, a few ways in which being a good listener can really help somebody to be an effective leader are, for example, you know, if you've got a team that if they're any good, and most teams are good, right, there's going to be loads of ideas and enthusiasm and stuff in that team, right? So you know, you want a leader who is open to hearing all those ideas, who doesn't have the idea that they have to have all the answers themselves. Yeah, because we feel that, don't we, as leaders sometimes, that somehow we're supposed to have all the answers. But no, actually, the role of a good leader is to be open to and to facilitate other people to also have good ideas and to kind of draw those out of people. And we do that by listening, don't we? You know, tell me your ideas. Tell me what you think we might do to solve this problem, and then being willing to do to kind of take that and and run with with the best ideas. 
Um, so that's just one example of how listening shows up. I mean, another one that really strikes me is, I don't know if you've heard Simon Sinek talk about the idea of leaders should speak last. Okay, And I think what he said was that, you know, leaders who turn, pitch up at a meeting and put their point of view first and then open it up to like, so what does everyone else think? are actually kind of cutting off the possibility of getting all of that wisdom from the team because by being the leader, by stating your opinion first, you can run the risk of people then thinking they have to agree with you or, you know, telling you what you, what you want to hear. You know, it's what Sidek said was that if we can get the discipline as a leader to speak last, then that is going to open up better ideas, more ideas, a really psychologically safe environment for people to really contribute. And what he said was that so many leaders find that difficult to to be the one that speaks last, whereas actually what I see is that an introverted leader finds it much more natural to be able to just say, okay, I'm not going to tell you what I think because I might not even know yet because I want to hear what you lot have to say. You know, so it's there's an example, I think, of how listening and leadership um, go hand in hand and that listening is actually a really important, important quality. I love that. And it fits with this idea of cognitive flexibility, like the idea that great leaders can go into a meeting like that and genuinely take on different perspectives and in fact, haven't come to their own perspective yeah. to start with. Um, and it is a really, really hard skill to adapt if it doesn't come or to adopt if it doesn't come naturally. So it's great that reflective thinkers, introverts can do that more easily. Any other, I mean, I know you could give me a list of about to wait. What other things do you think are the top things that introverts bring to leadership? Well, one of the things that I think is really relevant to the workforce that we have now, and as you know, the work the workforce is developing, isn't it? So we've already got a lot of millennials now starting to get to that stage when they're stepping up to leadership or the kind of bubbling under and have the ambition to, to being getting into those top roles. Um, and then we've got Generation Z kind of coming through um, underneath there. And one thing that those generations have in common that perhaps is different to my generation, which is Generation X, is that, you know, they 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 expect to be heard, they expect to be listened to, and they expect to have managers and leaders who um, provide opportunities for development and to stretch themselves and to show what they can do. And, you know, we look at any of the surveys of, of those generations and how they feel about work, that it is very much about, you know, having the opportunities to, to show what you can do. So again, I think this quality that introverted leaders have of not wanting to be in the spotlight, not, not, not wanting power for its own sake, if you like. And of course, that doesn't apply to all extroverts either. But that sense of not wanting to be in the spotlight can make it easier, I think, for some introverted leaders to push others forward, to develop the team, maybe to even be more comfortable with succession planning, to to bring people along and, and share that spotlight rather than naturally feel comfortable in it and therefore you know, just be more comfortable taking those opportunities to be in the spotlight, not even consciously, but just to um just because it it feels right to some people in a way that for introverts they'd think twice before being the one to to step into that spotlight. That makes sense. Um and then one thing you and I we had a chat beforehand and we both feel quite passionately that meetings <clears throat> need to change. Um why don't meetings work for the 30 to 50 percent of people who do have introverted tendencies oh well i mean i really could talk for hours about meetings um i won't <laughs> but the the yeah the reason they don't work well comes back to that difference in thinking styles between introverts and extroverts and what you were um, saying about reflective thinkers and so on. Because um, as I said before, extroverts speak to think. Introverts prefer to process, reflect, and then say what they have to say. But actually, the vast majority of meetings are just run really badly. 
you know, they're poorly facilitated. It's a free for all where everyone's just expected to jump in and say their piece. Um, quite often there's no agenda in advance. So the introverts in the room are going to really struggle with that because for an introvert to be able to turn up and perform at a meeting, they need to know what is on the agenda, what is expected of them. So they can prepare, get ready to, you know, almost prime their brain to be ready to speak up when they get into that room. And if they don't have that opportunity to prepare, they're not going to be able to speak because they're not going to have the processing time and the thinking time to formulate the words. So yeah, it's meetings are badly run by and large. And what that means is that natural talkers end up with disproportionate airtime. And that puts introverted people at a disadvantage. So we end up staying quiet where perhaps we don't want to be quiet. Um, and we're seen by others as having nothing to contribute, which is obviously not true because there's all sorts of rich thoughts going on in an introvert's head. But if you can't have the space in that meeting to process and then articulate what you want to say, you're going to leave the room without saying anything. And then you're probably going to beat yourself up afterwards. So why didn't I say that? Or the answer that you wanted to give is going to come to you five minutes after the meeting comes to an end. Um and yeah, that that's one of the things that most gets me riled up because everybody loses when half the ideas in the room never make it out of people's heads. But that's the reality of what's going on in the meetings that we all spend far too much of our life in. So I'm going to ask you two questions here. So just to forewarn you, the first question is going to be if we could wave a magic wand and totally redesign meetings so that they work or introverts as well, how would we do that? And then the second question is bringing it a bit closer to reality and going, well, we might not be able to totally redesign meetings in the world of work, but what shifts can we make to the way meetings are done that will make them better, if not perfect? Okay. So on that first question about waving a magic wand, you know, how do you make them better? Yeah, it's not actually that hard. <laughs> I don't think a magic wand is needed, actually. You know, I, personally, I think anyone who's regularly running a meeting ought to invest a little bit of time in learning how to facilitate properly, which isn't hard to learn. Um, but I don't want to do down the, t the facilitation skills because, yeah, there's a real skill there, but the basics can be learned fairly rapidly. But, yeah, the thing that every meeting should have, in my opinion, is an agenda where it's clear what's under discussion. Is this for information or are we making a decision? You know, what do I need from the people in this meeting so they can prepare and come ready to speak? Um, every meeting, in my view, should have a clear chairperson who is responsible for making sure that everybody's voice gets heard or that everybody who wants to be heard is heard. Because sometimes people don't want to speak and that's okay. Yeah, you don't have to speak in every meeting. But when people do have something to say, it's incumbent on the chair to do things like um, make sure that there is some turn-taking rather than just letting the loudest people butt in and, and dominate the conversation. Um, it's things like having some agreed ways that people can signal to be to say that they want to say something. You know, it's also recognizing that speaking isn't everybody's preferred way of thinking and processing. And so, just building in really small pauses to a meeting, just thirty seconds or so, can be enough. You know, ask a question, have a pause, and then start the discussion. Just that small gap can make it so much easier for someone with an introverted preference to just formulate some words and be able to speak. So there's there's a few ideas there. There's plenty more, I'm sure, that we could get into, but uh, those are a few that immediately spring to mind. And the question for you, if I am chairing a meeting and I've noticed that someone hasn't contributed and actually I know that they would add value to the conversation, is it every introvert's nightmare to be called on? Or is that a positive thing? I think you can't generalise. Some people would find it excruciating to be called on specifically by name and asked to contribute. Others would be quite happy and be probably quite grateful that 
they have been asked rather than have to butt in. Um, so I don't think you can generalize, but in, in, you know, in general, I wouldn't sort of hone in on people specifically if you can avoid it, but I would, um, either do something like turn taking where you make it clear that if someone doesn't want to speak, they can pass on their turn, but at least go around and give people an opportunity to add something if they want to, um, or just, um, you know, say something like, you know, there's a few people we haven't heard from yet. Is there anybody who would like to say something? Because then that's giving people the opportunity to come in. Um, but yeah, probably best to to not hone in on individuals if at all possible. <laughs> okay, good to know. And it, yeah, as a facilitator, um, that's I, I'm very conscious of how comfortable or uncomfortable someone might feel contributing. But it's that is reading the room isn't it as well? And I think the more, if you're not naturally introverted, then learning to get better at listening and reading the room as a chair, um, which is then challenging if you're trying to contribute and chair at the same time. I'm sure that that is quite, especially if you're an introverted thinker as well. There's a lot of things going on there at the same time. Absolutely. And that is another thing actually sparked in my mind, Carla, another um, tip, I suppose, for how to make meetings more inclusive and how to make, yeah. In, in, and that is that I've never understood why so many meetings have to introduce a topic and make a decision all within the same hour. You know, okay, sometimes there are times where you do need a really quick decision. It's got to be done. We get that. So that happens. For the vast majority of the time, it's not necessary to do the brainstorm, do the thinking, and then make a decision. It's about separating out the different parts of the process. So, you know, letting people know that there's this topic we're going to discuss. This is what we need to be looking at. Give people a chance to come to the initial meeting having thought about that before if they want to. You have the discussion in that first meeting. You get all the information on the table. You chew it about a little bit. And then you go away and give people who need it a chance to just take in what they've heard and think about it. And then you come back and make a decision because then everybody has had a chance to actually process and think about it. And the decision will be better as a result. Um, And everyone will feel they've had a chance to be part of it. I totally agree. And I've never seen it happen because I've started (laughs) suggesting that now. Um, Yeah, again, Getting really clear on the purpose of a meeting, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but then having the separate bit a little bit later on the decision making. But I've never seen it have happen. Have you been to a meeting where it's happened? Have you seen it happen? <laughs> well, any meetings that I used to be in charge of making would happen with that. <laughs> and any time I'm facilitating now, which isn't very often these days, but when I do it, I do it that way. Even if you know, because it don't, it doesn't have to be days in between it. You can have a small gap and then come back. Um, but yeah, I think you know, I I I I can recall a couple of people who have generally split the split it in that way. Kind of let's get into the the information and the topic and chew it around, and then let's come back and make a decision later. But I think that even with the best intentions, what mitigates against that in workplace is just how busy everything is all the time. And again, you know, I could have a whole other conversation with you about the craziness of the busy culture that we're all stuck in, right? And of course, back-to-back meetings are part of that. Um, But it really makes it hard to slow down, to actually reflect and think deeply about something. Um, Whereas actually my very strongly held view is that we would all be better off if we brought a little bit more of that reflection and deep thinking into our work and just slowed the whatever down (laughs) for a bit. Yeah, but I know that's not a fashionable view and it's not something lots of people would go with, but I feel that very strongly. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And I think now we are hopefully seeing a little bit more of that breathing space between meetings as well, like not necessarily running the full half hour or the full hour, because if you're exhausted by lots of stimulation, then it makes it incredibly hard to show up fresh to a meeting. They've got those pictures, haven't they? I've seen it on LinkedIn. I'm sure you have as well, like brain scans of what your brain looks like. 
after it's been on a call for two hours and it's not pretty. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I would guess that's also not a great experience for extroverted people to have, you know, might not, might not feel it quite as quickly or as keenly as an introverted person, but none of us are not doing anyone any good to be in those back-to-backs all the time and to have no space to do anything else. You know, it's just... I'm going to have to shut myself up because I could run on about that for a long time, believe me. <laughs> um, and for us, we bring this conversation to a close. Is there anything else that you think workplaces could be doing to be more introvert friendly? Um, gosh, where to begin with that? Well, just in terms of meetings, um, there's a couple of things. So we talked about, you know, um, the fact that people are expected to jump in rather than it be chaired. And you said, you know, in with, in the absence of a magic wand and everyone suddenly having great facilitation skills, what could you do? Well, you know, I think there's a few things. And they're very simple things. Um, and one is just to, to establish that norm, if you haven't already, that in your meetings, there is a signal of some sort that people can use if they want to speak. So that can be as simple as a hand gesture, you know, kind of holding your hand up, not like you're in school, but just... Um, you know, putting your elbow on the table and leaning forward and making a sort of bold gesture with your hand to demonstrate that you want to come in. And that can work in person or online. Um, if you're on an online meeting, then, you know, using the chat box and being, again, establishing a norm that it's okay to use the chat box if you want to say something. Obviously, we're not going to write an essay in the chat box, although we might like to. Some of us introverts might like that. But, you know, we're not going to write an essay in the chat box, but we can put something simple like, um, I have something I want to say. Can you come to me next? You know, if you're finding it difficult to jump into that constant stream of talk, just use the chat box to signal that you've got something to say. And as the chair, make it okay that people can do that. Be explicit that that's okay. Um and also if you're the chair and you, you, you've maybe got a regular meeting and you know that, you know, there's people that, that don't seem to say very much, maybe go and find them and just say, you know, I've noticed that you, you, you don't always um, have much to say in the meeting. So I just wanted to know if there's anything I can do to make the meeting more inclusive for you. You know, what do you need from me? Because I guarantee that all of those introverts that are being told they're too quiet and that they're not speaking up enough have got absolutely shed loads to say if the meeting is run in a way that makes it possible for them to contribute. Yeah, there's a lot going on in those heads that that people aren't seeing. And, you know, frankly, we all have a responsibility to make sure that those thoughts can get out into the world. Definitely. Well, we've covered all sorts of things today and I've definitely learned a lot about introversion. So thank you so much for coming on, Emma. Um, if anyone wants to find out more about working with you, um, where should they go? Um, anything you want to tell people about? Okay. Well, um, people can find me on LinkedIn. Um, always welcome to connect with people on there. Um, and if you follow me on there, you'll get pretty much daily stuff about this subject. Um, but what I would also suggest is that you download a copy of my free introvert success scorecard. So you can find that on my website. I would no doubt there'll be a link in the show notes to that. Um, but basically in just a few minutes, the scorecard enables you to assess how you're doing against nine criteria that you need to build a successful career as an introverted leader um, and to just help you have more influence and impact um, without having to change who you are. So it will, it will show you how to um, feel more confident and at ease with yourself rather than thinking you have to lead in some other way that other people are expecting. It will help you to gain value and recognition for what you bring. Um, and it will help you take control of your career so you can progress in the way you want without having to go out there and boast about what you do and all that stuff that introverts hate. So do um, go and get that scorecard. It's at my website, which is www.emmataggart.co.uk forward slash scorecard hyphen sign up. Um, and as I say, I'm sure there'll be a link in the show notes if you're kind enough to do that, Carla. Absolutely. Um, it sounds like a really helpful resource for people to have. 
I mean, there may well be some people that have had a little bit of a light bulb moment during this podcast when they're out walking their dog or commuting home and gone, oh, maybe I'm an introvert and I just didn't know it. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on and sharing your passion and your knowledge. I love following you on LinkedIn, so I thoroughly recommend everyone to go do that. Um, and look forward to having you back on the podcast another time to keep chatting about this. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much, Carla. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're not already subscribing, please do so so that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you want to go deeper on the topics that we talk about here on the podcast, on confidence, self-doubt, imposter feelings, increasing your influence, being better at leading, then there are a few avenues that you can take. The simplest is to get yourself a copy of my book, Closing the Influence Gap. If you love this podcast, it is crazy if you don't already own that book because it's got so much of the content from the podcast in a really accessible way and so many practical tools and strategies. It's basically a practical guide for women leaders who want to be heard in the workplace. You can grab a copy in any uh, bookstore. Now, we also run a couple of open programs. Uh, we run them once or twice a year each. There is Be Bolder, our four-week confidence and assertiveness course, which is suitable for women at any level. And then there's also Influence and Impact, which is our Women's Leadership Development Program. That's a three-month small group cohort working closely with me. And then my team and I also work in-house in organisations. Sometimes that's working with women leaders, whether that's running a whole women's leadership program or running one of our really popular masterclasses for women leaders. Sometimes it's working with early to mid-career women where we're often sharing our Be Bolder confidence and assertiveness program. We also offer gender neutral versions of that, which are becoming increasingly popular because women aren't the only people experiencing confidence challenges. And then finally, we do work with allyship and supporting men to help bring about gender equity in the workplace as well. So if you are heading up a team or a department, or within your organization, you're responsible for the people function or L&D, and would like to have a chat about how we can work together, I would absolutely love that. And you can go to my website and book a call, or if it's simpler, head on over to LinkedIn. Let's connect and let's chat there. I would love to take working with you to the next level um, and help you to become an organization that retains and develops and supports the talented women that work for you. Mm -hmm.